Welcome to the Open Adoption Project, We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean. And I'm Lynette. In today's episode, we're going to hear from another adoptee, which is always such a treat. We love these adoptee episodes because really, our whole purpose is to help make adoption a better experience for adoptees. And so hearing from adoptees is essential and just so key. So today we'll be hearing from Addison. Addison is an adoptee who was born in China and then adopted and raised in the United States. And she's going to be talking about her story and some of her experiences and her feelings in today's episode. Something that I really appreciate about Addie and the way that she shares her story, um, she talks about how she's connected to other adoptees. And you'll see the specifics of how that works out um, at, during the interview. But it just made me think a lot about the importance of our children or adoptees in general having a community where they can connect with other adoptees that they can relate with and that that in itself can be really therapeutic and really healing to know that there are other people in a very similar situation. Yes, I love talking to Addie. She is just so genuine and so sincere and we're really thankful for her sharing her story and some of her struggles with us. And we know that you're going to enjoy learning from her in this episode too. You can find Addie on Instagram at adoptee meets world with an underscore at the end. You'll know you got the right one if you have chopsticks and spaghetti and meatballs. She and a friend of hers actually host another podcast and have shared a lot of their experiences and their story. And uh, we totally recommend that for the community, right? Understanding the perspective of others and just really understanding what's going on in the lives of other people can help us in our own adoption journeys. We are here on the podcast with Addie. Addie, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. To start off, can we have you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, um, so I was adopted from China um, and I'm currently in Maryland. I just relocated here over the summer, so I'm pretty new to the area. Um, it's been quite a transition, but not too bad because I have some family and friends nearby, which is really nice. Um, I was working at a nonprofit, but I decided to quit my job and start a jewelry business, which is kind of my main focus right now. So it's been a lot of trial and error, some chaos, some calm days. Uh, but I definitely think that I feel like I'm starting to be on, on my path. Awesome. A jewelry business. That's very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So you are an adoptee. So do you mm -hmm. mind sharing some of your adoption story, whatever you want to share? Yeah. Cool. Um, so like I said, I was adopted in China and how our agency did it. It's called heritage. Um, they're not operating anymore, but they operated, I believe out of Portland, um, and so when my parents wanted to adopt me, I think they had been in the process for maybe a couple of years. Um, it was definitely over a year. And then they got a phone call. I think, I don't think they were supposed to get a phone call to get me until November, but it came about a month early. So I got put into a group. There were a total of eight babies and seven families. So we kind of referred to ourselves as like the China sisters, the China cousins, and so they adopted us in September of 1998. They did like a whole family tour. They did all of like the orphanage visiting, kind of visiting our hometowns, our hometown, excuse me. And um, my parents were in Montana when they adopted me. So 
came over to the States. I spent a few years in Montana. Um, then I grew up primarily in New Jersey, but during this time, especially from, I would say about like pre-K to kindergarten, um, through almost the end of high school, probably midway through high school, we had regular reunions so that all the, like the sisters quote unquote could visit each other. And I think that was really important because it instilled a sense of adoption community that I don't think every adoptee gets to have. Um, and it was really important too because all of us were interracial adoptees. So it gave us a group of people who not only looked like to us, but we also came from the same orphanage, which was really special. Very cool. So how old were you when you moved to the United States? I was 16 months old. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was still a baby, but I would say on the mid-range to slightly older end. Yeah. And then you and this group of eight um, that were all adopted, you all were able to see each other throughout your childhoods and on. One of the moms decided that, I guess she was just like, oh, it'd be a really good idea if we kept the girls in touch. So all the other families hopped on board. And we don't talk as regularly now as we did when we were younger, um, but we keep in touch a lot just through social media. So we get to see what everyone's up to. That's really neat. What a cool idea. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've heard of that happening. Yeah, it's really special. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing. So when do you think you first realized that you were adopted? Um. Well, I think because it was a transracial adoption, I always knew. Um, yeah. You can't really hide that. But there was, I remember a moment in the first grade where I really realized that I'm not just Chinese, but I'm also very different from my community. I grew up in a predominantly white town. Um, I think over the years, I've gone back a few times more recently to visit. Um, but it was a very white town, which is not a bad thing, but at the same time, it didn't give me That's hard. an environment where I saw yeah. people, yeah, who yeah. looked like me. Um, so there's a moment first grade, you know, a kid was like, oh, like you're from China. Why don't you just go back to where you came from? <laughs> and I was like, oh snap, I'm different. And then I kind of like from there, that was the main part. But my parents have always talked about adoption. Um, it's always been conversation in our family, not always easy conversation. But, you know, I always knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So do you feel like your parents did anything um, that stands out to you to help you connect to your heritage and to help you remember China and Chinese culture? Uh, they did put me through Chinese school. So I did Chinese okay. school um, from about first grade. I can't remember until when, like a few years in elementary school. Okay. And so they did try to encourage me to learn the language that way. I think it was hard though, because just even as a student in general, I'm not good with the whole sit down and listen to the teacher. I need to be more interactive, you know? Yeah. Um, but something special that they did do is we would celebrate the day when my parents got me and they had gotten a few items from China when they adopted me. So for the first few years, or I guess I was when I was old enough to really understand the importance behind those items, um, they would give them to me on, we call them gotcha days. So get, they would give me one each gotcha day for a few years, um, which I think was really special. And I think, yeah. Oh, t- in 2007 also, we went back to China. So we did like a That's big cool. heritage tour. Yeah. Cool. And what was that experience like? It was chaotic. It was really chaotic. Um, 
it was me, Libby, and another one of the sisters. Her name's Emma. And all three of our families went on this tour with a bunch of other families who we didn't know for a couple of weeks. And they just like whipped us around the country, like the big major cities. Um, but at the end, Libby's family and my family, we branched off so that we could go see our birth city and the orphanage. Um, and I think I was nine, no, nine or 10. I was nine or 10. And I think at that age, going to the orphanage was really, really overwhelming. Um, and we don't know exactly why I got sick. Maybe it was something I ate or I don't know just like emotionally drained. I got a really bad fever that night. Oh, no. um, yeah, so it was, I was fine. I didn't, nothing happened, but it was just kind of, I guess literally a shock to the system going yeah. back and, you know, seeing where I started and all that. Have you ever met any of your biological family? I didn't. Um, okay. With China specifically, I don't really know about other adoption yeah. stories that well. Um, but the adoptions are very, very, very much closed. So I don't have any information about my birth family. So what do you think you have struggled with regarding adoption? I think a big struggle is just accepting it. Cause I think I've definitely accepted it, but like really taking it in and accepting it and being okay with it and being okay with the differences that it comes with. Um, Especially too, because I did grow up in such a white town where nobody looked like me. Um, that was definitely a challenge. And I don't think I really started exploring for myself what it means to be Asian American until within the last couple of years. So what do you wish other people understood about being an international adoptee? Um, it's complicated and it's messy. Mm -hmm. um, like all adoption, I think. I think that in a lot of cases, international adoption does come with the nuance of being interracial, which not all domestic adoption does hit. Uh, obviously, it can. Um, but with this one, it's literally taking a child who, I mean, at the age of a year and a half, the child does understand language. Um, so it's taking that child out of that environment to a new environment where they're speaking a completely different language, completely different culture. And I think that event really does carry through as the child gets older. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a big challenge, part of international adoption. Absolutely. Do you feel like there's anything that your parents or others in your life have done to help you with that transition and with dealing with trauma or do you have any um, thoughts on things that might help? I think my parents did what they could with what they had. There's not a lot of adoption resources, as you know, um, and especially even fewer resources regarding interracial adoption. Uh, so I don't think that any mistakes that they made were intentional or neglectful or, you know, malicious, yeah. obviously. Um, but there were mistakes and just again, we're it's like considering what town do we grow up in? Cause we moved to New Jersey to be close to, to my mom's parents. Um, Cause they were just getting older and they needed, you know, help to get taken care of. But the choice of town that we ended up in, I think there could have been more 
education and awareness around them choosing where we landed. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us about your podcast? Yeah. Um, so Adopting Meets World, it was started in probably about summer, spring, summer 2020. Um, I had just gotten evacuated from the Peace Corps. I was in Guatemala. Wow. And I that's kind of when the whole discussion and discovery of me like, oh, man, how am I doing this whole Asian adoptee thing um, kind of started because I never really... I was always curious about an adoption and I was always curious about my adoption, my heritage. Um, some years I'd be more curious than others, but after coming back from Guatemala, especially in the heat of a pandemic and especially in the heat of so much anti-Asian sentiments, uh, it stung because I was coming back to a United States that was very different than what I left. And I had a few friends in the Peace Corps who were also Asian American and they, I think in general, had these conversations more than I did. Um, so when we spent time together, they brought me into the conversation and they helped guide me a little bit on how to get started and figure out what it means for me to be Asian American, just by telling me how they went about it. And so I got back I was like in a complete little rut, a little mess. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll start a podcast and start talking about these topics that, you know, are burning inside of me, especially right now. And I guess you could kind of say it started as a little passion project. Um, it started out as just me and I was talking, you know, about my experience, a few things about interracial adoption, um, Chinese adoption. And I decided, I was like, hey, Libby, like, instead of just doing an interview with you, how about you, you know, co-host the podcast with me? So she ended up doing, you know, coming on board with me. And we do pretty much all of our AMW stuff together when we can. Um, but we've kind of taken a little bit of a pause on it right now, just because there's a lot of transition happening. Um, and it's hard to keep up with everything, but we definitely like having it, like keeping at least all the accounts and everything active so that when we have people reach out to us, um, we're able to respond and at least do our part that way. That's awesome. So you started the podcast maybe as a way of helping sort through some thoughts. Do you have yeah, other, definitely. do you have other goals or plans with it or? Um, I think my goal, because I don't want to get ahead of myself with the podcast and I don't want it to turn into something where it feels like a chore. I really want it to be an intentional space where it's healing yeah. rather than, you know, like feeling like a second job. Um, so I was very cautious of that, especially to when I brought Libby on because, you know, she's a human, she has her own things going on in life and I wanted to be respectful of that. Um, so as far as goals, I think we are just keeping it open and it's a project where it's open-ended, where we feel like we can come and go from it as we're able to. That's awesome. Um, and if something happens, that's great. But if it just continues to be like a little memory corner for us or a resource for other adoptees, that's also great. That's awesome. All right. So where can we point our listeners to, to find your podcast? Um, you can find us on it's adopting meets world underscore that is our instagram and if you want to send us an email you can send us an email at adopting meets world at gmail.com awesome all right so switching gears a little again 
What do you wish that the adoption, adoption community understood specifically about the challenges that you have faced as an adoptee? Um, I think that I hid a lot of the challenges I was going through, like a lot of the struggle. I never really talked about it with my friends unless they were adoptees. Um, because one of the families I primarily grew up around was like a big Italian Irish family, you know, loud, boisterous, and very family oriented. So I didn't, and I love them to death. So I'm not like, you know, um, but it just didn't feel like the space or time when I was younger to talk about my adoption. Um, as I've gotten older, I've definitely opened up more. And I think too, that just comes with maturity because when I was younger, maybe it, a wasn't the space for me to talk about adoption, but B, I also didn't know how. So I think that was a big part of it, um, which is part of why the, why I started AMW. So, cause I was learning how to talk about it. And I think that gave me a good foundation on where I can start and go from. That's great. So what advice would you give to adoptees who are growing up in communities where they are the minority and where they don't feel like they have racial mirrors or people who look like them or who they can connect with on more of a cultural level? I think, um, obviously with safety, the internet is a great resource. Um, these adoption pages and podcasts, I've always met really open, kind, caring people on them. Um, the podcast, the, the I guess the adoptee podcast community is very responsive, especially on Instagram. So you can go um, talk to them. I've gotten a lot of messages through AMW about other adoptees just sharing their experiences and you know being thankful that there's something for for them to relate to. Because um, I think adoption just in general is a new topic for many people. And how it's portrayed in media, it's very you know rainbows and butterflies. Um, yeah. So I'd say, like I said, with caution, but the internet's been a really good resource. That's great. And then mm -hmm. what advice would you give to parents who are trying to be more conscious and help their children who might be a different ethnicity than them and help them connect with their communities? So for parents, I think that you should always keep adoption an open topic, um, respectfully whatever feelings the adoptee has, it's a lot of the adoption. Yes, there, you know, the triad, how there's the birth parent, the adoptive family, and the adoptee. The adoptee really is at the center of it. And as adoptive parents, there needs to be almost like hypervigilance to be very supportive of your child. And so if your child is expressing feelings that maybe you were sitting with and feeling uncomfortable about, you need to reflect on your own self. It's like, why do you feel uncomfortable about your child feeling abandoned? I mean, cause you know, there's a lot of abandonment issues that come with adoption, but I've come across um, stories of adoptees who talk about how their parents are like, oh, I've done so much for you. I don't understand why you're not grateful. You know, they're very gaslighty environments. They're so toxic. And I just overall, I think it's really important that before anything, the adoptive parents listen to the child, they listen to their boundaries. And then um, from there, you know, introduce the conversation of adoption because the child doesn't know how to talk about their adoption.
they need somebody to teach them how to talk about it. Um, so if the parents are able to have an open conversation about it, um, start bringing things into the home that you know show a similar face to your child. Um, I know my parents, in my case, we had a lot of books about um, some adoptees. There were Chinese girls in a lot of my children's books so that helped me see representation. Um, but it can be really hard to come by because representation is still an ongoing issue right now. Yeah. All right. So earlier you were talking about how you came home from the Peace Corps mm -hmm. and yeah. everything had just changed so much, right? Like there was just this huge cultural shift. I imagine that would be wild to come home and just be like, what it happened? It was jarring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When you were younger, did you mm -hmm. experience racism and do you feel like that changed after you got back home from the Peace Corps? When I was younger, I did experience racism. I think a lot of it was just around the unaware 2000s, because um, there are all those jokes, you know, like the, there's like one where it's like Chinese, Japanese, and it's like you pull, you're pulling your eyes to make them, you know, quote unquote slanty. And I experienced a lot of that. Um, I got like the dental floss jokes, or it's like you can blind an Asian with the dental floss. And again, this is all happening dur during a time when I didn't know how to address racism. So I was like, oh, whatever, I just brushed it under the rug. But at the same time, that caused a lot of damage because a lot of it led into bullying. And I had to figure out how to navigate that because I didn't know how to talk to my parents about bullying either. Uh, and so when you're like, what, six to 10, 11, 12, trying to figure out all that, you're like starting to realize like you're an individual person apart from your parents. You know, being in school, you're around different kids, but I was around such a predominantly white community. I think there was a lot of lack of understanding. And I would see other kids too, who weren't white getting the same crap I was getting. And so it was really hurtful. Um, and then when I got back from Peace Corps, I really haven't experienced a ton of racism in my adult life. I've, there's been some offhanded or like backhanded things people have said to me, but after Peace Corps, I think a lot of it was just watching everything on the news. It kind of sent me into, I don't want to say a spiral, but definitely it put me in a different mood than I was in before. It's made me have my guard up a lot more than I used to. I know I was, when I was going around in the grocery stores, I would wear a mask because I believe masks are important, but also because it got to hide my face. I was like, great, I can hide my face. And I know I had friends who would tell me, it's like, no, I'm putting on the sunglasses, a mask, getting in and getting out. And unfortunately that's still a reality that I'm facing sometimes where it's like, I don't feel comfortable if I'm going to a certain area. Um, and obviously I know I shouldn't have to have my guard up, but it's protective, you know, making sure nothing happens when I'm just trying to go to the store and get my, get my stuff done. Yeah. Wow. Do you feel like as a child, people would treat you differently when they realized your parents were white um, versus if they didn't realize that your parents were a different ethnicity? Um, I don't think so. I think it was more of a shock factor and they were confused because they're like, okay. well, how can white people have a Chinese kid? Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I'm adopted. 
and then that would just bring up a whole another conversation. So what do you think the biggest challenges that you see in the adoption community are right now? In general, I think there's a lot of lack of bringing older adoptees into the conversation when it's concerning their adoptions. And it's also um, ethical adoption. Because I don't know, if I'm being very honest, I don't know that I would consider my adoption very ethical. One, because I, I can't judge. I don't know a whole lot about it. I don't know, you know why I was given up. Um, but I think that ethically, we need to think about family preservation, which is very important. Um, if a family can do an open adoption, I think that's very helpful. But to keep, to cut ties due to insecurity of adoptive parents, I think is really damaging to the community. Um, especially to the birth mother too, because she just carried this child for X amount of time. And then she gets cut off from her child even if it is legally somebody else's. Um, there's so much that needs to, to happen for the two parties or maybe even the adoptive parents, um, but for those parties feeling the loss, you know, the adoptee and the adoptive parents, because uh, there's that separation which can't be replaced. Um, and it needs a lot more care when being done, I think. That's so well said. So do you have any thoughts on actions that we could take or solutions that might be able to help improve? That's a big question. Um, I think maybe starting on a small scale, um, investing more in family preservation, first and foremost, you know, providing resources for mothers who maybe don't have access to food or childcare or you know, even a job. Um, I think that would be the first step is providing those public services to adequate, adequately allow a mother to still care for her child, even if she is in difficult circumstances. I love that. Yeah. All right. Any thoughts on things that we could also do to help address um, racism in the community and help improve in that? Maybe the best thing, also a really hard thing to do, is to speak out about when you see it. Um, I know that I'm trying to learn how to not keep my head down and how to like talk about it more. Um, but I think having been someone who lives it more than just sees it on the news changes my perspective because then I'm like, oh no, I get scared because I don't want something yeah. else to happen to me if it escalates a situation. Um, but when you can, I think it's really important to call it out when you see it in the moment. That's great advice. Thank you. All right. Well, I have loved talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your thoughts and feelings. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated this conversation. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. And thank you so much, Addie, for being on the podcast with us. I loved hearing from Addison and hearing some of her thoughts about what we can do as an adoption community to better support and help adoptees. And I feel like it's so important to listen to adoptee voices and to really take to heart 
the advice and thoughts that we hear from adoptees especially. When we were wrapping up our time visiting, Addie and I, we talked a little bit about how I feel like I've learned so much doing this podcast, and sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should go back and update one of our earlier episodes to be more in line with things that I've learned or that I'm learning. And I loved what she said. She said that having the whole process of what I've been learning up and not changing it can be helpful for other people too, right? Because we're all learning. We're all on this journey of growing and becoming better and more informed. And it is a process that I think everybody's in. I don't think any of us have learned everything yet, right? And I loved that thought from her that it's really helpful for others to see our journeys and our growth as we try to become more informed. One particular thing I really appreciate about Addie's sharing during her interview was just her openness uh, about racism that exists in the United States right now and particularly in her, in her circumstance. I think that's something our community really needs to be aware of and the more and more educated we can be, uh, the more and more we can support other people, the better the better experience all members of the adoption community are going to have. Right, and all of our society because it affects more than just the adoption community. For sure. But yes, of course, I agree. We're so thankful for Addison for sharing all of her feelings with us in this episode, and we're so thankful for you for being here and listening to us. If the podcast has been helpful for you and you think that it would help others as well. We would love for you to jump on to whatever platform you listen on and give us a rating. I know that Spotify now accepts ratings. We're on Audible and Apple Podcasts. The more and more ratings we get, the faster or quicker we'll show up in searches about adoption or open adoptions. And we'd love to keep helping the community. So if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Adoption Project. We'll be back next week with a really wonderful interview with a birth mom named Gina, and we're excited to share that with you. Thank you.